Amen. Welcome to our Hebrews Bible study. We're going to take up last time. We're in the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1, and I don't think we'll finish this book the way we're going in the book of, in the time of August. However, I, this is going to be shortly published, and if you desire to have the rest of it, hey, it'll be in a book form, and I'll let you buy it. <laughs> and it'll be cheap. I'll give a First Baptist big discount, okay? Promise you. But it'd be something worth having. It took me 40 years to put all this stuff together. So hopefully you'll get something out of it. We were talking about the divinity of Christ and how it mentions here in the first four chapters that Jesus, it says, He was the brightness of God's glory, the express image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power. And He, Jesus, was co-equal with the Father in every way. He had every power that... Jesus, that the Father had, Father had. It says here, Jesus was the effulgent glory of God, the exact brightness in every way. And that's the meaning here. He was completely and absolutely God. May I say that? In case you don't understand. Colossians 2.9 puts it this way, and we need to heed the Scriptures. <clears throat> in Him, in Jesus... All the completeness, or it says fullness, but it means completeness. All the completeness of God is in Him. Let me say that again. All the completeness and fullness of God is in Him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And again, I used the illustration last week of, of taking a pitcher of water and pouring it into three glasses. And I always ask people, which is the water? Or take, I, you can also do the same thing with an egg. You can take an eggshell and they say, okay, I'm going to take the egg and you break the egg and you separate the white and the yolk. And you got a yolk and a white and an eggshell saying, which is the egg? You see what I'm saying? They're all one. They're all the egg. And the water is all the water. Same essence. Same thing. Uh, he was better, verse 4, than the angels. There's a cult that goes around and teaches that Jesus was an angel. Well, they misunderstand scripture. Uh, we just preached in a sermon, Revelation, that the word angel in Revelation 1 was actually meant pastors. So every time you see the word angel, doesn't mean being angel. An angel, angelic being. It can mean something else. Jesus, Jesus is often called in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord. And that's what angel means. doesn't mean he was, a, he was part of the angelic creation. He was not. And, of course, that would make him less than God, certainly. In him could not all the fullness of God dwell if he were an angel. Amen? In fact, very less, uh, much less of God would be in him than that. <clears throat> it would say, just, matter of fact, the scripture would read, in him does not dwell. All the fullness of God a bit. But that's not what it says, is it? No. So, it goes on and, and corroborates that in verse 5. Which the angels, at any time, did he say, Thou art my son? He said, "What Did I ever call an angel my son? No. Uh, Jesus was far exceeded the angelic race. He is the son, and by virtue of that, he is deity. And he has understood, and by the way, amazingly, only a, a, a 19th century cult started in the 19th century would come up with something like that. 
Because in the first century, when Jesus was alive, they understood him. When Jesus said, I'm the Son of God, in John 5.18, the Pharisees sought to stone him. You know why? They said because he said he was God, making himself equal with God. They understood that. They understood to say, I'm the Son of God, means he's equal with God. I don't know why. We can't understand it. But, but even the unbelieving Pharisees understood it. And they, they called it blasphemies because he's, he's saying he's God. If he's the Son of God, he's God. So they understood it completely, but we have trouble with it. Uh, verses of 6 through 14 here in chapter 1 are direct quotes or pers- partial quotes from the Old Testament verifying the personage of Christ, his power, and his position. Why don't we just read those real quickly. Verse 5, For unto which the angel said he at any time, this is a quote from the Old Testament, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. That's talking about his incarnation, not his being. And... All, of all of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and ministers a flame of fire. fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So God, in speaking of Jesus, says uh, to the Son, thy throne, O God. He calls him God. Uh, so Jesus is here called God. Uh, Your throne is forever. A sepulcher of righteousness is the sepulcher of thy kingdom. Well, who's going to sit on the throne of the kingdom? Jesus. So, Jesus is called God. Thou hast loving righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, <laughs> has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they shall wax old as doth the garment, and as the vesture shalt thou fold them up. They shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years they fail not. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make mine en- thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation, much less to he who became the captain of our salvation, Jesus? So he said the angels are sent forth to minister to us. Okay, and Jesus is the captain of our salvation, and so that makes that means they're really, you know, helping him and worshiping him and, and so on. So, uh, let's go back here to the purging. Uh, the purging of our sins here, and we talked about that a little bit last week, it means to cast away our sins. We have been cleansed and scoured clean. The Bible talks in Romans 4.22 through 24 and 4.8 about imputation. Now, imputation is a, it is kind of a funny thing. In order for imputation to take place, something has to move over here, and then something else has to move back. In other words, it's a transaction. It's transactional. So, what God says, I tell you what, I'm going to swap you something. I'm going to give you my righteousness in exchange for your sin. That's imputation. That's exactly what it is. 
And it's the transference of our sins to the cross, and in place, the righteousness of God is put to our account. On this basis, we are justified, declared righteous by God. The great price was written on heaven's grace account. Jesus made the deposit with his life, the just dying for the unjust. And this chapter points out to the present position of Christ as exalted in heaven at the right hand of the throne. And here our advocate or high priest, we will learn later. He has a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, I asked one of these people in a cult one time, I, I said, if you bowed before somebody and called them Lord, would, would that be worship? And they said, yes. And so you would do that before Jehovah. And they said, yes. And I gave away the cult. And uh, Jehovah, and they said, yes. They said, would you bow before anybody else and worship them as Lord? I said, oh, absolutely not. And I turned to Philippians 2 and showed them that. And I said, if Jesus is not God, then God the Father is having us commit idolatry. And I said, I don't think God the Father would do that, do you? Well, anyway, just a point uh, there. Uh, can Jesus help me? Let me ask you this question. Can Jesus help you? That's a good question, isn't it? Yes. Look at these scriptures. He's upholding the whole universe. He purged the sins of the entire human race. He is speaking to us. He has a throne and a kingdom. And I just want you to look at this chapter 1 as a spiritual aspect and say, can God help me? Yes. How can you read this chapter and not believe that God, through Jesus Christ, can absolutely help you. He is able. He is more than able. And one of the things that the writer is trying to express and get across to these people who have given up on God, who because of their circumstances have given up on God, because of their persecution have given up on God, is that God can, through His power, uphold them. Yes! Is God absolutely able to uphold you in all your troubles? Yes. This book, chapter 4, 16, He will give you grace. And Paul said, grace is enough. Three times I besought the Lord, and God said, my grace is sufficient. His power here is enough. He is able, more than willing, and able to help. It's a great great comfort for all people to know that. And we need to, as we close out chapter 1, understand that. Just as a spiritual lesson of the chapter, if you will. From this, if you don't take anything else, you say, I know who God, I know who Jesus is. I know what Jesus is capable of. I know what Jesus has done for me. And guess what? He can absolutely help me. Amen. Once you know those three things, who he is, what he's done, what he's done for us, you can say, hey, he can help me. <laughs> so when you get that across, can Jesus help me? And matter of fact, we come to chapter two here now. 
Jesus overcomes. Jesus overcomes. Angels will, by the way, although mentioned here, are not co-equal with Jesus. They are prominent and a prominent theme in the book of Hebrews, more than probably any other book of the New Testament. Um, And why, I have no answer, nor has anyone been given an answer as to why uh, in this book uh, that they are mentioned. But they are. I would like to address it with an idea. Uh, in this book, it's as if we have reached into the Old Testament and we are standing in the tabernacle and here's the curtain. And beyond it is the Ark of the Covenant with the, the big, you know, the box with the big cherubims over it, overlaid with gold, and we've, we're pushing the curtain back. So the book of Hebrews is as if we push that curtain back and we're kind of looking in to that room. And that's kind of what we're doing here. And so... Uh, understand, it's kind of like taking a look at the Holy of Holies. And, of course, there are guardian angels there on the throne of God. Uh, it may not be the answer, but it's something to think about. We see here the throne of grace and many other things uh, there. Uh, and here, the word we're talking in chapter 2 about the word spoken by angels. See, we're going to come to this. I'm coming all around the angel thing to this. But let us regress a bit to chapter 1. Chapter 1, Jesus was superior to the angels. It says in chapter 2, he was lower than the angels. Oh, this is a contradiction. Pastor, I don't understand this at all. You told us all through chapter 1, Jesus was superior to the angels. Now, we see Jesus a little lower than the angels. What's going on? Simple. Chapter 1 is speaking of his deity. Chapter 2 is speaking of his humanity. And in his humanity, Jesus was obviously lower than the angels. Why? He, had, he could get hungry. He could be hurt. He could be hurt emotionally. Uh, <clears throat> angels would not suffer hurt. Angels, you know, supernatural beings. But in that human part of Jesus, yes, he was lower in his humanity even than the angels. So that's what, it's mean, and that's what it means here. His divine nature is intact, even though it says here he is lower than the angels. <clears throat> in his death and human nature, yes, because he says, it says, again, in that Philippians 2, we've been referring back to that, he emptied himself for our sakes to die for sin. In other words, it's not a contradiction. He had to take upon flesh to die for us. Why? The kinsman redeemer principle. He had to be one of us to die for us. <clears throat> That's the way. That was the solution that God came up with for sin. All the way back in eternity. Uh, some scholars suggest that the church at Jerusalem, like Colossians, had fallen into angel worship. I don't know. It's imperative that the nature of angels be examined. Who were the angels to Jesus? They were, of course, his creation, right? However, in his earthly ministry, they assisted Jesus. And even now, minister to us who should be heirs of salvation. Looking back in chapter 1, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who should be heirs 
of salvation. And you look at some times where Jesus was harassed or went through difficult things, it says the angels came and ministered to him. So the angels ministered to Jesus even here on earth when he was here. So that's something to kind of understand um, about the angels. We, sh- we someday, however, flipping the coin a little bit, 1 Corinthians 6, 3, we shall judge angels. But that depends on how you interpret it. Do you interpret that as fallen angels or all angels? I have to be fallen angels. I think the other angels not going to be judged, but fallen angels. In other words, Satan and his crew, his horde, his minions, whatever you want to call them. And so, yes, we will someday uh, judge angels according to 1 Corinthians 6.3. But in correcting the heresy of, of the Colossians, the superior, how do you correct that? The superiority of Christ. <clears throat> this is why in Colossians, Paul said, in him dwells all the fullness of God. Why? He was trying to correct some heresy there. Jesus, even in the flesh, destroyed a powerful angel. Look at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 14. What could Jesus do in the flesh? He could still destroy the most powerful angel. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same. That he through death might destroy who? Him that has the power of death, that is the devil. The devil was destroyed by Jesus' death. Uh, He said, I love what he said. He said, now is the prince of this world judged. Now is the prince. Now is he cast down. He knew his hour was coming. He knew the cross that Satan would spend three days having a party, but he was going to have a terrible hangover the third day. Yes, he was. Because Jesus rose from the dead, and the devil said, whoops, what happened here? He didn't listen to Jesus all that carefully. He said, now is the prince of this world cast down. Now is he judged. And that's exactly what happened. Satan was defeated at the cross. He lost dominion of the earth. He lost dominion of humanity, at least those that have faith in him. We are translated into the kingdom of the dear son. He no longer has any authority over us. Amen. Satan cannot have authority over you unless you give it to him. You hear me? Satan has no place with you, no authority over you whatsoever unless you give it to him. That's why the Bible says don't give place to the devil. If you don't, you keep him out. Amen. Remember that. And so, apparently, even in the flesh, Jesus was strong and powerful enough to destroy Satan. So that's something we should think about. As part of the study, I urge readers to go to the book of Colossians and read chapter 1, 12 through 20. The angels were made like us in one respect, we know. We all worship the Creator. An angel, we understand, is a relative term, and I talk about that. It can be created beings or just simply messengers. And consider there are many differences. As we look at chapter 2, we're still in the beginning of chapter 2. Let's let's go ahead and read the first verse. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time 
we should let them slip. And what he was saying to them is they need to let them take heed. Don't let them slip away. Because we can so easily let the things of God slip away. So let's move that direction. Uh, Oh, I was going to give you some differences. Angels worship. Jesus is worshipped. Angels are servants. Jesus rules heaven and earth. So you think about it that way, you understand there is distinct difference between uh, Jesus and the angels. Now, we should never let the word of God slip away. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It talks about the Word of God. For the Word of God is quick or alive. Alive and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing of center of soul and spirit. It gets right into here. And the joints of marrow is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is the Word of God. It's alive and powerful. Now here is some reference uh, here's some reference to, to how we got the word in this chapter. How did we receive the word of God? Paul has made his point in chapter 1 that Christ is superior. Now he wants to point out next in line that the word of God as an authority, if indeed the two could be really be separated. In other words, the word of God has authority also. Uh, and here aforementioned, he is giving us a warning. And this comes off, verse 1, it's an exhortation, but a warning. Don't let the things that we've heard, the word of God, slip away. And you know, we can do that. And we're going to find out in chapter 5 how that happens. I'm going to, we're going to go through a whole breakdown if we get that far. But in case we don't, uh, I'll just say... It says those who by reason of use, in other words, using the Word of God all the time, that by that means we usually keep the knowledge of the Word of God. But we can, let, we can neglect it and let it slip away. Uh, Paul even says to Timothy, neglect not the gift within you. Don't neglect your spiritual gifts. Don't neglect the Word of God. Because if you do, they slip away. That's strange, but it's true. And I don't know how to... Uh, I couldn't tell you how many men I've talked to said, yes, God called me into ministry, I just didn't go. I was afraid, or I couldn't, or I, I did this, or I made this decision. And, you know, sometimes with most of those men, once it's gone, it's gone. It's too late. It's slipped away. And I think things like that can happen to us in our Christian faith. We just need to understand that. Do not neglect the great message of salvation. In fact, in this book, in this chapter, it's going to say, how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Unfortunately for this church and the principles and practice, that's exactly what had happened to them. They had let the Word of God, the principles of the Word of God, the teachings of the Word of God, and and who Jesus was slip away from their grasp. From their minds. Uh, that's exactly what happened. So we, he said, don't let them slip away, but that's what had happened here. 
the writer knew that already, he knew that already, for he tells them chapter 5, they lost their spiritual hearing. And he also says, you need to also be retaught the basic doctrines you once knew. So they had definitely let it slip, had they not? Wouldn't that be very sad? That'd be like saying, you know, you can't remember the alphabet next anymore. You're going to have to go back to first grade. I mean, you know, you've forgotten the alphabet? Okay. At the same time, Paul speaks of mature belief. Why don't we forget the alphabet? We use it. We don't forget it. If you use the Word of God, you don't forget it. At the same time, Paul speaks of mature believers. And I'm going to paraphrase here. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. When we fall away in the faith, we lose not only that the word. Are you following me? We lose, we lose discernment. We cannot discern good and evil. We have trouble then what's good and what's evil. Remember that. That's why uh, Christians who have backslid, gotten out of the Word of God, gotten away from the church, they end up in sin because they, they no longer can determine what's sinful and what's not. Uh, so when we fall away, we lose the discernment. Many believers end up in sin, and the word here for letting them slip away is from a slow river flow, like, like water trickling down a stream. They just slowly melt away, like... Snow melt just slowly melts away. And uh, and it is as if they have said and watched the things of God slip away from them. And here we instructed to give earnest heed, to apply ourselves, pay attention to with extreme concentration and seriousness, handling, learning, teaching, and preaching the Word of God are indeed serious matters and not to be taken, undertaken lightly. But today we have flippant Christians and preachers. Distressingly, I heard a story of a pastor. I told you about the one with the was giving a marriage thing on with the uh, Muppet Babies or something, whatever it was. I can't remember now. <laughs> and had quoted a verse at the end. But there was a pastor in... Uh, I don't want to say who, he decided that he was going to dress up as Spider-Man and swing into the service on a Sunday morning. You might say, well, you know. But I, I don't see that if you, you know, I'm not going to dress up in a Spider-Man suit. That might look funny. But uh, that's not really, you're appealing to the flesh when you do that. That's, you know, it'd be like me if if I got if I was great at telling jokes and my kids tell me I'm not. Uh, if I was funny and I'm not, uh, you know, trying to use that as way. Uh, you know, we can get be flippant about it. We can get just kind of inappropriate about presenting the Word of God, uh, and it, that's in this humble servant's opinion I put here. I think that God, the God's word deserves a little more dignity than that. Maybe that's the way to put it. Than me flying in on a Spider-Man suit. Yeah. Now, for a promo for Vacation Bible School, I did have my associate pastor come in in a Tarzan suit. Uh, but that was for kids. That was for kids. It was at Vacation Bible School. That's a little different. But we've lost respect in all areas of our nation for 
the Word of God. And for authority and structure, that's obvious. And so that's where we are right now. Now, in verse 2, we hear there of something of the Word of God given by angels. And that's where I want to take up next time, with the Word of God presented by angels. So let's look, take it there next time. I don't know how far we're going to get in the book. It won't be probably through chapter 13, but that's okay. God bless. Have a good week.